Hey. Welcome to Creative Block. We're your hosts, Gene. And V. We interview people in creative industries about their life, work, and hobbies while we do Dole Jam. We asked people on Twitter if they had specific topics they want us to discuss, as well as some drawing prompts. And today with us, we have Taylor Reynolds. Hi. Hi. Hello. We did that in perfect unison, V. That was that was amazing. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> we've we've done a lot of these. Uh, Taylor, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, you are a friend of ours. You work in animation. You've done all kinds of things, all kinds of amazing, impressive things. Um, you have many interesting interests. Uh, and so I'm very excited to have you on. For those who don't know you, tell us who you are and what you do. Uh, yeah, so um, I uh, am a animator, illustrator person, uh, mostly been working in animation, but I love to draw and make illustrations too. Um, the past few years I've been working in games. Um, so, uh, uh, previously just worked on a project for Radiohead and then before that a uh, interactive series about a pop band forming in LA called We Are OFK which is uh, coming out this summer I think yeah that's super cool that's a lot of really like different interesting projects too that's uh, yeah very and, nice resume and it's uh, the, the thread so far at least has kind of been like the, the music industry has been somehow attached to it um yeah which is which is an interesting yeah um when did you first realize that you liked doing creative things and like what kind of drew you to it um i mean i think i was one of those like you know drew a lot when i was a kid um mm -hmm. i i would get in trouble for like during reading time i'd have a book with like uh, animals on it on my desk but then in my lap i'd have my sketchbook and i'd be doing studies of it like in second grade mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. just just loved uh i loved drawing and, and writing a lot too i used to like write a lot of stories and poetry and all of those things and uh it was just like always a constant through like school and uh high school and then um i i was really just planning on being an english major just kind of pursuing more of the writing side of stuff um, until my senior year, I came across, uh, an animation program or like a digital arts program, um, that was left some room for, it didn't necessarily have to be just animation. Um, it could also be modeling or just, it was a little more open. Um, and I had mm -hmm. never really thought about that before, um, working in animation. And so that was kind of an exciting thought. Um, and, uh, yeah, ended up going to that program and getting to meet a lot of really cool creatives uh, through it and uh, learned a lot. But uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I don't think I spent my whole life thinking drawing was going to be my career or that art was going to be my career. It was just always something I did. Was there anything you wanted to, like as time went on, was there something that you did kind of figure out like, oh, I'm more interested in this or is that still kind of an ongoing process? It feels like it's still ongoing. Like every year yeah. of college, what I wanted to do changed, um, which was kind of uh, interesting that, you know, it the, the program did kind of accommodate for that to, to an extent. Mm -hmm. It was like my freshman year, I was like, I want to do art direction. And then the next year I want to do character design and then sculpting. And then uh, I, I really actually thought that I, I didn't like animating. Um, and then uh, 
I started animating for my senior thesis and was actually like, oh, this is this is pretty fun. You um, made a whole film, like a short film. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, which was which was wild um, and uh, really rewarding. Uh, but that's kind of how I I found out that I liked animation. I thought there was something satisfying about about doing three D animation, um, mm. and that was kind of my springboard going into uh, the first job I got uh, when I graduated, which was uh, doing 3D animation for a VFX studio. Very cool. Very cool. Did you um, that? Did you start doing animation in 3D as as opposed to like 2D, I guess? Um, my Our first like classes, like our intro to animating class was 2D, but it was like very, very rudimentary mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of, I mean, meant for complete beginners, which I, I absolutely was. So I never got like a, I, I never got really good um, at 2D animating. Mm. Um, it's a whole other thing. Yeah. It's a whole other thing. Yeah. It still interests me sometimes to maybe um, revisit, you know, now that I'm not in college and stuff. But um, yeah, I had a really amazing um, 3D animation professor, Ruth mm. Daly. Shout out. She's she's amazing. Shout out. Uh, mm-hmm. She worked on um, Life of Pi and just a lot of other oh, wow. really impressive um, creature animation. She she worked on the uh, creature animation in the original Golden Compass movie. Um, yeah, so I and, and she was like just very. Uh, I think one of my my favorite professors I had um, as far as just like really meticulous like uh, feedback and. Um, I learned a lot from her and then when when i i did my senior film uh she gave me a nice compliment on it which was just that all the animation looked cohesive together and it looked like oh. my animation um, oh, nice which i was happy about because getting that done my my mentality was just kind of good enough you know for each one it was like it, it, it couldn't be perfection it just needed to be completed so i could move on to the next thing so yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah, there's one thing that I that I really respect about everything that you do is that it always feels like it's coming from you. Like it, it feels like you uh, really know what it is you want to be producing, but you also change like the way you approach different drawings, different projects. Like there's there's uh, there's always a difference in approach, but there's still a cohesiveness. Um, and I'm wondering like where do you sort of draw your inf- influences from your inspirations because i know you have a lot of faves <laughs> and i know you love talking about your faves, oh, um, my faves. let's let's hear about those faves mm-hmm. yeah one of one of the problems i have with listing stuff out is that um my autistic brain craves a complete list and i get okay i get weird, <laughs> I get weird <laughs> that's about, a loaded like, question <laughs> no it's just i i uh i get weird about like not I'm like, I'm going to miss something and it's totally oh, fine yeah, to miss something. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, if people are like, what are your top five movies? For some reason, my brain will always like omit one of them. That's really important. Um, but uh, I, I digress. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, growing up, my biggest inspiration was probably, uh, you know, alongside with with watching animated films and stuff was uh, a lot of like illustrated books and picture books. Mm and chapter books I was just always like um I really wanted to to be like a novelist when I was younger and uh I just I've always really had a love for 
book covers and um i've actually kind of reignited um an interest in and just kind of collecting some um children's books and like illustrated books um yeah so like that 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 would be one major one that i'm also kind of like leaning back into now or it's been cool to kind of revisit uh some of the picture books i remember as kids but then also just like um finding new ones and uh yeah i was gonna ask so it's like it's not just stuff you remember it's also finding new gems yeah yeah um and also because um some good friends of ours uh had had a daughter recently and Mm. i'm preemptively excited to uh be able to to like bond over those with her so um totally yeah it's really cute yeah so i and i never really had like a I never took like an art history class or anything. So I feel like I've been kind of like figuring out later on what, what I'm drawn to or like, Oh yes, this, this is what, um, this is, this artist is really cool. I'm going to go look them up more, which, uh, the freedom of that has been nice. And that's why I started that whole thread of just like artists that I've, I've found through this kind of later journey of, uh, looking through art history and stuff and just like uh finding those influences and then uh studying them so i have a lot of like illustrative influences a lot of like russian ones actually um Mm. that i've been collecting like uh russians uh, russian children books or uh, like illustrated books Mm. um and then probably in like high school and college uh my biggest inspiration was studio ghibli for sure um I was also very into anime um, at the time. I was watching a lot of that stuff, but I saw, um, I loved Spirited Away growing up. Um, my best friend and I used to just put that movie on and paint together, which was always That sounds fun. nice. It's very that just pleasant. Sounds, that sounds pleasant, yeah. Yeah, and um, then I was like, wait, there's more? When I was in high school and, and I watched uh, Princess Mononoke for the first time, and uh, that was kind of the one that I was like, I want to see everything else that the studio has mm-hmm. done. And, and so senior year of high school, I acquired every single Ghibli film and watched all of them um, and kind of uh, focused on learning a lot about about that. I was just very um, taken by them and the imaginativeness. I, I feel like there's still kind of a, that like childhood optimism is kind of a thread there um, mm-hmm. too between... Uh, like the children's books and uh, some of their more like yeah. imaginative and optimistic films. But then also like, you know, Princess Mononoke was so like brutal. Um, yeah. And that also really um, interested me that like, oh, you know, that there there can also be in, in this film that's got these, you know, charming little forest spirits and other things that there can also be like this brutality horrible Um, violence yes yeah um and it's not really happening like as a backdrop like house moving castle it's like oh yeah dude just got his arm shot off you know like that's pretty awesome um so yeah yeah so um (laughs) those are probably my my biggest uh inspirations kind of uh growing up um i watched a lot of spongebob Oh, that's good too. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you, and I am biased, but I wanted to ask you about the Russian cartoons and books because that's I am for those who don't know, I am Russian, and I grew up with a lot of that stuff. And um, 
I was curious, what is it about those that draws you to it? Because they do have a unique style. There's something about it that really is different than a lot of other cultures, like children's media. Um, but yeah, what is it about about it that draws you to it? I honestly am still trying to to figure some of it out, but I think it's it's the combination of like it's always very like pastoral, so there's a lot of like nature. Um, nature elements yeah. are just like these beautiful natural scenes um a lot of times like folk tales about like a uh, um animals so like uh, there's there's one i can't remember the name of but um it's like my favorite illustrations of a fox uh in anything they're just very very oh. good um and then also like the 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 ornament i would say like there's in the clothes or even just like in um the embellishment around yeah. the pages and things like that. There's very a lot ornate. of times this very pretty, like kind of framing ornamentation or just like decorative design. Um, that is, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Is, is super pretty. And I also think just like traditional, like Russian or Slavic, like folk dress is, is really gorgeous. And so <laughs> whenever I see characters uh, with that in, uh, in these books too, it's just like, it, it's already, um, just kind of like vibrant and uh, different. Uh, yeah. 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 The, I take some of that stuff for granted because it's just like what I knew. And um, and so I'm always fascinated with people that come to it, you know, from the Western side of things and like discover it. Because, yeah, to me, I take it for granted. But there's a lot of really good stuff. And there's a lot of obscure works of art that um, have gone totally unnoticed by by the West. And like animation wise you know a lot of people know hedgehog in the fog which is great mm -hmm. but there like there was so much animation coming out of the soviet union because it was government funded and there was like mm -hmm. two studio i think it was literally like two studios maybe yeah were they um but trying to compete with hollywood was that kind of like during the no because it was there was an iron curtain they didn't give a shit it was just i was wondering if it was like a thing i was wondering if it was a thing like you know kind of like um we gotta go to space first we gotta you know we gotta show <laughs> no. how good you know i was wondering if like yeah. culture kind of came because i remember as a kid i was watching uh you know do you know that cartoon with the wolf and the little rabbit oh yeah no pagodim yeah oh my gosh i love that cartoon it's, so much as a no it's child it's, it's so good the opposite direction where they because they didn't export any of that that was not an export like nobody outside of the soviet union as far as i know this is all take it with a grain of salt because i don't know shit mm -hmm. but as far as i know it's none of it was exported um it's just we need to entertain our fucking children and we don't want them to see horrible western media that'll brainwash them into loving america and uh, so they just did their own versions of things so much. Like, Nupagadi is totally just like, what if we did Tom and Jerry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think, but they're so cute. The designs are it's great. very cute. Yeah. And it's very it's, Russian because it's like the aesthetic. It's, yes. it's not like, I don't know. It is, I kind of get that though. That it's like, okay, let's have a cartoon that represents our country rather than, they, you know. Like, yeah. And it's funny because it's like adult as hell. Like the wolf is just like mm -hmm. an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Like it's not. It's not for kids. Mm -hmm. um, but it's great. Yeah, there's a lot of really good stuff. There's a studio called Pilot that did like amazing little works of art. Um, and I could start naming things, but that's not what we're doing. You know, what? I'm just gonna like plop it in the 
for anyone who's oh, like yeah. listening on Spotify, if you want to know what we're talking about, uh, you can check out the YouTube video and you'll see. <laughs> yeah, like, comment, subscribe. Yeah. Um, um, but anyway, yeah, Russian stuff is great. Yeah, there it is. Look there it is. It is so gross cool. chest. <laughs> um, People would think it's hot now, so. Oh, God, yeah, totally. He's got, like, <laughs> Tumblr dad sexy, man. Mm-hmm. Tumblr sexy. <laughs> yeah, the wolf from the Hupagadi is Tumblr sexy. Um, God, what a statement. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, Russian cartoons are great. Check them out. Um, hit me up on Twitter if you want to know more. Uh, or, or Tay. Tay might know some things, too, right? Mm-hmm. I, I guess more on the book side. I haven't seen a lot okay. of, like, cartoons, but um, I, I've just been, like, uh, looking through, like, illustration a lot and then a lot of times they just happen to be russian or slavic so yeah uh, that's really cool yeah um something i wanted to talk to you about and you mentioned it is that you are autistic and uh i know that a diagnosis of autism for femme people is different and i wanted to hear your thoughts on that and how you kind of discovered that for yourself and you know what that's meant for you yeah, so I'm I uh I arrived at this um you know, not in childhood, so uh, a a few years ago still. Um so relatively new discovery for me, but um there are definitely things that I had been experiencing my whole life that kind of all came into focus once I had a word for them. Um and I I have to give a big shout out to uh Samantha Craft's uh, autistic profile for, I think it, it says for women, but uh, I think it's just, I, I think of it more as like, you know, I'm presenting people. Uh, and it's just mm-hmm. a, a, um, a checklist uh, meant to aid uh, mental health professionals or therapists in uh, detecting uh, autistic symptoms in women or femme presenting people that might otherwise be looked over. So I, uh, I saw a comic by, I believe their username is Parapylene, um, that was about them getting uh, diagnosed uh, as a femme-presenting person, and that uh, kind of uh, rang a bell for me, just uh, some of the stuff that she mentioned in that. I think the first thing that she mentioned was that um, there can be an excess of empathy rather than a lack of empathy, because the hmm. stereotype is kind of that autistic people don't have empathy or that they they can't relate to other people um which is uh not true and can can also be kind of leaned in the extreme um and uh the extreme extreme of that you know is like a personification of uh you know even just uh inanimate objects you know having empathy and compassion for them or you know being a kid and crying because you know i uh i i left my my favorite toy on a trip and i i'm a i'm sad not just because i lost it but because it's stuck all alone by itself and it's never gonna yeah you give it again. Like i've human... abandoned it um yeah yeah so, so that kind of stuff but that that comic led me to check out that whole list of um of other uh qualities and then kind of went through those and i was like wow like pretty much all of this sounds like me um and so I went through the process of uh talking that over with my therapist who I've been meeting with for uh, a long time now so she's she's known me pre and post 
diagnosis and was like the uh, professional that kind of uh, confirmed it with me. I've yet to get a, a psychiatrist um, mm. diagnosis, and there's a few different reasons behind that. One is because I'm uh, pretty apprehensive about going in and having a stranger uh, tell me that I'm not autistic, um, mm-hmm, and then having mm-hmm. to to reckon uh, with that, you know, in in the sense of like, I if if I was going in for that, a lot of times the reason people will go in for medical diagnosis is uh for accommodations or for medication um so like workplace accommodations or medication or uh you know also just validation to uh Mm -hmm. be able to confidently say to others you know this this is what i'm dealing with uh i've been perfectly happy just with having um you know my therapist who's my my mental health professional um confirm that with me uh the other reason i'm apprehensive about doing that not to say I won't do it in the future but um it can also just be a uh barrier for employment even or a barrier for just like (laughs) unfortunately basic human rights um where if it's you know listed officially um you know in a in a governmental sense then it can be used against you whether or not that's that's supposed to be how it works it's how it can pan out so that's another reason why uh, self-diagnosis, whether or not you have, you know, a therapist like me or something like that, is is a valid form of, of diagnosis at, at, at this point in the world because it's it's so hard for a lot of people who are autistic to be diagnosed if they're femme presenting, if they're not white, if they're not, um, you know, a young boy. That's kind of the stereotype. Um, so a, a lot of people will... Uh, go through, you know, the list and uh, carefully self-diagnose and Mm -hmm. and move from there and then kind of make the decision themselves on whether or not they want to go forward with that. So, um, yeah, there was a big weight off of my shoulders, I think, when that, yeah, so that's that's definitely, um, you know, for anyone out there who is uh, pursuing a diagnosis self or otherwise, it's just something that's important to consider and you know obviously uh for a lot of people if they if they have um more intensive needs then that that isn't really an option for them you know if they need medication or they need uh, uh workplace adjustments those kinds of things then it's like it's a little harder to go without those so you have to kind of uh weigh that um but yeah yeah so so that um that was a really big discovery for me and uh, for just a lot of uh, both like creative things and otherwise that I've, I've gone through in my life just kind of uh, made a lot more sense. Um, I have a lot of like sensory issues or just like a, a pretty limited sensory budget um, per day. So mm-hmm. um, just kind of having more grace for myself around those things and and understanding why I might react a certain way in social situations um that kind of stuff yeah yeah there's something to kind of figuring those things out that helps you understand yourself better and then helps you deal with things better because it doesn't feel like it makes you feel less othered you know and and less um like unseen and unheard um So like I I'm I've been on my own journey of trying to figure that out for myself and I think I mentioned it in 
Jorge's episode who talked about his autism, which is a great episode. Everyone should check it out. Um, but like, yeah, you know, like I list, I looked at lists of, of um, is it symptoms or is it is there a better word for it? Um, you could, it's symptoms is fine or characteristics okay. or characteristics. Yeah. yeah. And I've looked at a list of those and I always wonder, like, I, I don't. I don't think that I am significantly on on it on on a spectrum, but I definitely share a lot of the characteristics and a lot of things that I used to not understand why I did it. I thought I was just awkward, um, yeah. like not being able to look people in the eye sometimes. Um, I don't, and but a lot of it's also ends up being positive things. You know, it's like picking up on. Uh, little like social ticks like seeing people seeing people's true selves a little more easily because i can see through a lot of the like you know yeah social ticks is a good way to put it it's like there i think there's also like no i can't not notice some things and that's just kind of a a general issue that i run into is like uh i i call it tagging sometimes it's like Mm. my um you know, if there's a distracting noise or like someone I know is uh, like using a similar phrase over and over again, Um, (laughs) or just like a, a lot of people have like a, you know, as their uh, fill in phrase, Uh if they're telling uh a story and then they're saying, you know, you know, you know, as kind of their, and I I tag every single time that happens. Yeah. I want to or not. (laughs) It's, Um, it's interesting because like, I always had, there's people that I would meet in life that would immediately rub me the wrong way. And I was picking up on a lot of like little microaggressions and nobody else in my life would really see them. And I would always immediately like butt heads with those people and just not get along with them right off the bat. And nobody would believe me and they wouldn't get it. And then time went on and all of those things that I kind of felt very early on would start to show themselves and then everyone else would catch on that this person sucks and is really like selfish or narcissistic or whatever. And I never understood what that was, but the more I've tried to like understand my own brain and my own uh, way of of being, I've realized that it's like I I notice those things because I'm like hyper aware of them because I'm, you know, they're they're social tics, they're the little, little body language things that I'm like, like I'm hyper focused on and so it's hard for me to like not notice somebody being kind of a dick and I don't know and so it's just little things it's like a lot of um a lot for me it's like hyper focus on things I don't know it's um it's a complicated web of things but that's the thing is it's a spectrum right and so it's like and and I also had to realize the spectrum isn't a left to right line the way that I imagine it it's it is just a big blotch of of colors in every direction you know definitely yeah and it's like there there's a lot of uh um i would say discourse right now around the way that we talk about how different people can be on the spectrum and how they're they're uh how to uh, talk about uh, there there used to be functioning labels that used to be or the, i mean yeah. it still is a thing that a lot of people use but there's been kind of a reconsideration of functioning labels um just in the sense that they can become like if you're trying to say uh you know a high functioning autism or low functioning autism first mm-hmm. of all that sounds yeah, not great sounds um, rude <laughs> yeah, yeah it sounds rude and it's uh it's also like 
I, I think it, it, it suffers from making it like a, a lateral, just like a line again that you can be more mm-hmm. or less of. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's still like a conversation about how to, how to talk about that and, um, you know, recognize that there, there are people that are, are autistic that have a, a more high intensity needs is another way it's been described. Um, that also may struggle to like uh, advocate for themselves uh, because of mm-hmm. that, or, you know, if they're nonverbal, those kinds of things that those yeah. need to re- be recognized as distinct from uh, autistic or not distinct, but just different from people who, um, you know, are hyperlexic uh, the other direction, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that are, are very wordy or, um, you know, uh, that are, are hyperverbal uh, that, that that's mm-hmm. also still there. Uh, but yeah, that, that's been kind of interesting to unfold as well, because, uh, since I, you know, masked, uh, for most of my life, uh, kind of without realizing it, you know, and masking is just like adjusting my, uh, behavior, uh, to appear more neurotypical, uh, mm-hmm. depending on the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, unmasking also has been a whole experience and process, uh, to just be like, am I doing this because people are expecting me to be this way? Uh, you know, or can, can I relax a little bit more? Can I, uh, and the masking can, can also be a bit of it for me feels like performance, you know, um, I've always done very good in like formal social situations, I feel like. So I, you know, like interviews and things like that felt very structured to me. Yeah. Anything that's mm-hmm. like a one-on-one conversation with someone feels very structured to me. Yeah. But yeah. Um, in conversations with peers or when there's, you know, two or three plus more people um, and it's informal, that I have, I have a harder time uh, with that yeah. um, because, because of the, the difference in, in structure. It's much easier to appear... I feel like for me, at least it's, it's easier to, um, you know, be hyperverbal and hyperlexic and present those things in like a, a formal or professional sense and have it come across as pre- impressive, you know, or like mm-hmm. just normal or professional. Um, but then in other, you know, circumstances, uh, I, I can just feel completely lost. And I even remember at, uh, when I was interning at Nickelodeon, I had mm-hmm. a much easier time talking to employees than I did my fellow interns, which was weird. <laughs> it was weird. Um, I always, I, I like still made some really good, good friends from that who were, were also interns, but it was strange how I did kind of feel um, separate a lot of times from just like the banter. Is it cause, yeah, is it cause like, um, I, I, <laughs> I relate to what you're saying a lot cause it feels like the banter you have to analyze it in a way that it's like okay so this is how you respond to that kind of stimuli or like there's like the rhythm and the words um and then it's like how do i uh how do i play this game that doesn't have any rules that comes with it uh whereas like you say like you're hanging out with an employee and you're like, oh, this is great. This is the kind of questions that I ask. I can use the script and I know exactly yes. the kind of answers that they're going to the give script. me. It is very yeah. safe. And right, yeah. and at the end 100%. of this conversation, we will both have 
gain something that makes yeah. us feel yeah. happy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 I, I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you. Uh, well, I was going to say, like, I – no, you. <laughs> I um I met Tay uh, when when she was an intern at Nick, too, and I was working on the Loud House. V hadn't started yet. Not not uh, in-house. Not in-house, yeah. I was like – and. Yeah. Um, yeah and and yeah and like you just came up and started talking to me <laughs> and like we got along really well and we had similar interests and um and it was it was impressive to me because a lot of the other interns that i had already met um that they were following a script and um they were doing a lot of work to make themselves noticed in a way that ultimately felt artificial to me and that's no shade on them that's honestly just kind of what is encouraged a lot of the time right? Um, where you're very like structured and how you talk to employees. And I have my thoughts on that, but I, I, I'm not going to air them out here. I, <laughs> there's, there's good and bad things about that specific internship program. And uh, it depends on your mileage may vary. Um, but yeah, it was just, you, you have no problem connecting with people when you, when you're given sort of free reign to just be yourself. You know, I've seen I've seen you like talk to complete strangers that I would never talk to. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't want to do that. I don't know. I just there's no um, it, there's no fear of anything social with you. Or maybe there is, but you definitely don't let it, you know, hold you back. Yeah. Yeah. It It's uh, something about I, I do feel very comfortable talking to like strangers a lot of the times like strangers within like a um an institution or like i, I don't know yeah it, that that distinction can be interesting um because it's also like it it does i i think a lot of times those things have a start and an end whereas like you mm. know hanging out in yeah. the the uh the mess hall at nickelodeon with interns just kind of like chatting about college things um i did not I, I don't feel like I, I knew how to do that very well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, I won't go into it too much, but, like, the, the other thing, too, that was, like, a big kind of um, discovery for me or insight uh, into myself was that um, I am a very, I would say, a, like, trusting person um mm -hmm. and sometimes to my my detriment um mm -hmm. and especially when i was you know when you're an animation student or you're trying to get in somewhere you are con kind of constantly bumping shoulders with people who are mentor figures or want to be your mentor figures or they're just in a position of power because they they're you know industry vets and they've been in the business for a long time or just people who feel like they can tell younger people what to do basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, in high school and then again in college, I, I ran into several situations where, um, my naivety and like kind of willingness to believe that, that someone had good intentions kind of put me, in a difficult situation um yeah. and part of that is is just because of the way i care uh when when if someone's trying to help me or take those things to heart um and so i really have like a a passion for 
now at this point in my life, like I want to help young artists understand what a power imbalance is because I really didn't and not in this, in the starry eyed sense of like, Oh wow. You know, this director is uh, taking me under their wing and is going to, you know, they're going to teach me everything I need to know to, to succeed um, that sort of thing, but power dynamics in this, in the sense too, that, um, you can be manipulated, um, yeah. and that mm-hmm. this, there, there are people who are in power positions who do not have your best interests at heart. Um, yeah. and so, uh, yeah, that, that was, uh, with kind of, uh, understanding how, how being autistic fit into that, um, there's some sorrow, but also just kind of some relief that at least I understand why this this pattern of getting attached to like a uh, a toxic person in a power position like happened to me more than once because a lot a lot of for a long time it was like why does this keep happening to me yeah um, I think it's also just like I think we kind of need to have some grace in the sense as like uh like women I guess in the sense that like it's yeah we're more likely to fall you know just because of the uh gender that we were born with that we didn't pick it's like we're more likely to fall in that situation as well and it's like I feel like people who are manipulative they scope out their victims so they there it's not that you're like you or anyone who's listening it's not that you're a person that isn't savvy it's just that they're looking for someone that is your profile and i think that's kind of helped me a bunch because i relate to what you're saying it's happened to me multiple times as well where you're like well fuck my life like why am i (laughs) like am i just a fucking idiot at this point or what (laughs) yeah yeah and then it's like no they are very savvy at what they're doing yeah yes. they weaponize kindness mm-hmm. or like the people like that are gonna look they're gonna find people who they can you know people who people who are gonna let them in yeah which yes. is it's them it's yeah. their shitty characteristic not yours like yeah. kindness should never be a weakness yeah which is yeah um yeah without going too deep into it it's it's yes. it, it's yeah. finding that balance of like okay like I think for me, it was kind of like boundaries, understanding what a boundary is. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I feel like in entertainment, it's it's not really um, full boundaries. Yeah. Uh, are a thing um, that that need to be reexamined <laughs> in entertainment. And also when it when it specifically comes to young people trying to get entertainment that are uh, more than likely to perceive someone who's experienced in the industry as like an aspirational figure not necessarily in a bad way but just in the sense that you can have a great admiration for someone and then they're right there in front of you um and there's a combination of uh you know goodwill but also manipulation you know like at the end of the day they're you know they're still um they're still a human that is is trying to accomplish something um by by their interactions with you you know and if you're a student too you you don't really have much to offer in in comparison you know Mm -hmm. so if someone is really 
investing in you um, as an artist, uh, then, you, you know, and you're kind of just at the starting point where, where from a power perspective, you don't have a lot to offer in return. Like you just, I, I can't emphasize enough to just like proceed with caution. <laughs> Um, I think it's yeah, like, just be yeah, smart. Yeah. you're touching on something that's kind of hard because it's true that like in a, a lot of like interviews or, or like stories you hear like, oh, and I found my mentor. And how do you find a mentor? It's like kind of like you, how do you, you know, it's kind of tough because like you said, you're c coming into a, a professional space and you're like, well, I could hopefully get that person to mentor me and then it's like but like you said it's like it's still work it's not very delimited there's not an actual um, i don't know contract or whatever so like things get just misunderstood messy. and a lot of like yeah it gets messy really fast i guess i guess it's safer um like for 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 women or like female identifying um people to go through programs like the women's animation program that has a mentorship every year like things where it's an actual program because then you're like okay like there's people i can talk there's to accountability too yeah yeah which yeah. which is important um but yeah i mean i've i've also had some some really cool um creative mentors or, or people that have taught me uh i when I was in college, I took like a, a ZBrush cra crash course um, over the weekend where, you know, they, they had uh, this professional guy sculptor come in and, and teach all of us. And that was kind of my first time using it and stuff. And uh, the guy really liked my, um, what I ended up with at the end of the class. And he offered to give me lessons. Uh, mm. And uh, I, I did those with him for, I think, several months um we, he had me pick a, a subject that i wanted to sculpt and then we uh went through that together and like i sculpted it and it was over um it was over like skype or like video call um mm. so it wasn't in person um and i always feel like there the the boundaries were good you know like mm -hmm. it, they're there was no, you know, calling on the cell phone or kind of talking about things that weren't related to what we were doing more than just in a tangential sense, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I really learned a lot from that. Um, and I'm really grateful to to that guy, Stephen Wells, for uh, taking the time to do that. Because uh, also, you know, a lot of times, like, professionals lead busy lives and b beyond the fulfillment of, you know, teaching or helping someone that's, that's still taking time out of... <laughs> Your, your limited time to to spend with a student that you know might not uh i don't know it just like might not work out so i'm i'm really grateful to him for that um and for just like that was an example of of someone that i met who you know like saw some promise or or something and didn't overstep uh bounds mm -hmm. yeah it's, i think it's i'm glad you mentioned <laughs> that because i there is kind of the kind people out there who yeah. really do want to help and like i I think that it's it's like you said, just proceed with caution. Because I I think if somebody hears this or have heard other stories and they start worrying about everybody, you know, eventually like being shitty to them, you're gonna also like potentially screw yourself out of healthy relationships that can benefit you. So yeah, just be smart. Keep an eye out for red flags. You know, like make smart choices. Um, I think at the 
uh because you know like one of the things that's helped me personally was just make sure if if you ever talk to um if you're in a if you're starting like a, a working relationship and you're worried that it could leave the working space make sure you talk to your friends reach out to someone and, and get someone to like that's what's always saved me because when there were moments when i was like i i think i have a weird feeling about this but i don't know it mm -hmm. seems it seems benign and like having like like a couple of friends like checking the interactions check, yeah. yeah 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 it's very important it's uh, I, I just wanted to throw good, yeah. in like a, a little bit practical practical tip I think that's good because objectivity is better than your own perception sometimes. Yeah. Like, it's it's true. And you want to have people, um, you know, yeah, that are like, you know. Yeah, and definitely <laughs> when I've been and I've gotten into those situations before where um, manipulation started happening, it was like it was my friends or my family that kind of helped helped me recognize that or at least like yeah expressed some concern in the way that, um, you know, it shouldn't be uh, a lot of times with, with those people. It's really like, it isn't all bad. It's the cycle of like, they will usually build you up um, only to, to tear you back down. You know, they'll say, you've got so much promise. Um, you're going to do all these things. And then, you know, the next day, see something that you worked on and be like, oh, this is high school work. And then, you know, kind of bring you back down. And that's part of the, the yeah. cycle of that. And if your mm -hmm. friends see you, Kind of constantly going through this whirlwind of emotions with someone like it's it's going to to raise concern for sure yeah um tay how do you deal with creative block when it happens to you and what does it feel like mm. i think uh like honestly i mean even right now i'm like trying to to doodle um in the stream and, and it is not coming to me supernaturally so i'm just returning to just drawing grass and stuff. You're doing but, great. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I I came across something. I think it was it was post college that um, talked about periods of absorption and creation, um, and mm. I feel like that's really how I function. Um, and once again, like just knowing that that that's a thing has uh, interesting. provided some stability for me, or just like an explanation of what's going on. So I, I, at least for me, how it kind of goes is I will have like periods of very high, like export where mm -hmm. I am mostly drawing, mostly making stuff, um, you know, writing, uh, and it, it just comes to me naturally. And then I have times where I, I'm struggling more to do the, I, I'm struggling more to do that, but, uh, in the inverse, uh, ingesting things becomes much more like natural or that's just kind of the the flow that I went into so a lot of times when I'm like blocked creatively um I I don't really you know force it um especially if I don't have to there's kind of a different conversation for like creative block for for personal creative endeavors versus like if you're you're trying to get some through something for a job you know you might not always mm -hmm. have the um the luxury of of being like I don't feel like exporting right now, um, you know, but for personal stuff, um, I, I'm much more kinder with myself now. We're just like, I don't, I don't force it if I'm not feeling it. And I'll usually lean into absorbing just other media. Um, so, uh, I'll be reading a lot of comics, reading a lot of books, 
watching more TV shows and YouTube and stuff. And a lot of times it's like my tank is empty. My creative tank is empty. Um, and it, it, it requires, uh, outside material in order to refill it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of how I think about it. So, um, yeah, I don't experience a lot of like distress anymore when I don't feel when I feel blocked or don't feel particularly creative because, I know that there there is a um, there is another solution to that, and that it's also just part of the cycle for me. Yeah, that's true. Like knowing yeah, that you... things can't come in cycles is, has been such a a relief <laughs> in life. Yeah, you, you know, you get used to it. You just kind of know that that's normal. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a good talk by John Cleese of Monty Python where he talks about that and basically says the exact same thing, but he calls it like open and closed modes where like, Oh yeah. It's when, when, when you're in open mode, you're receiving, you know, you're exploring things, you're receiving ideas, you're trying things. And then when it's time to get to work, you go into closed mode and you shouldn't let anything else in. You should just finish the thing you started. And it's a good, I think about it often and I'm, I don't stick to it like a harsh rule, but it is something that I think can help people to mm. think of it that way. Cause if you're always letting more ideas in, yeah, you're not going to get things done. Things aren't going to get finished. You have to scope down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I also just like, I, I had a, a professor in college who would like say you have to draw every day. And I completely disagree with that. Um, yeah. What the hell is that? <laughs> That's it's a That's recipe for guilt. It's just a recipe yeah. for guilt is what it is. You do not have to draw every day to no. get better. And even sometimes, like, I, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this where you've, like, stopped drawing for a bit and then you come back and everything feels good. Yeah. Um, or you're like, oh, yeah, okay, you know, this this is new stuff. Or there's, like, there's even a little jump um, in, like, con in skill, I've noticed sometimes, even just oh, yeah. a little bit, just from taking that time to step back. And I think if you're just like, you are hitting the bricks every single day, um, you're not really allowing time for what you're doing to be absorbed, you know? So it's, yeah, it's, it's more like it. maybe some people just do that naturally. And like, if you just naturally kind of uh, return to it every day, that's a thing. But if you're one of those people, that's like, I don't feel capable of, a, of it every day, but I feel like I should because people tell me I should, like you totally don't have to. Well, it goes back to what we were saying earlier. Like everyone's brain is different. People have mm. different ways of handling things and and optimizing. And so like do what works for you. I've talked about it probably plenty of times, but like, yeah, I, I don't really sketch anymore. I, I If I'm doodling other than on the show, which I do less and less, um, it's for, it's towards a practical thing, like a project that I'm concepting or something. But um, yeah, you know, V here loves to, to doodle. <laughs> Yeah, it seems I, like that helps you process things, V. Uh, I don't know. It's no? just that I really like doing it. I don't know. <laughs> I just <laughs> like okay. doodling. But I think for getting back to the like drawing every day, I think the only thing I could say, hopefully, if that helps anyone, is that like sometimes you, it might help take the pressure off instead of. Uh, and the way that I say this is like drawing every day doesn't mean you have to draw something good every day it's, yeah it's just building that habit as in like the way that I imagine it like the way that for me has that 
advice has worked was like uh and it's not trying to guilt anyone it's just like i'm trying to kind of like shed some light on how it could work for someone like because i used to be very worried about drawing something bad and there was like like when i was in college where i was like oh i can't draw anything because everything i do is bad but then if you're like well i'm gonna draw a little bit every day it doesn't have to be fantastic it can just be like a little tiny thing then slowly kind of takes the pressure off of like oh yeah it's just a thing that i um it's just a it's just a habit and then it becomes so that's just like a another way to look at it because <laughs> yeah. i feel like yeah. drawing is sometimes people are like oh you should draw it's like very that's a lot of pressure because then you're like well what should i draw what should i do <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah but if it's like yeah like i don't that's know true. that's with a lot of labor too like humans aren't just like a fountain of yeah consistently consistent anything really um but yeah. consistent work specifically or consistent output um you know those those things are always gonna exactly. change and adjust it's just like yeah having grace yeah for yourself in, in those situations I even remember I think someone asked Miyazaki once like what what he does when he's art blocked and he just like shrugged he was like I don't know just wait for it to end like <laughs> <laughs> you know um so it's like everyone has has a uh, different solutions yeah. to it um but totally. I always kind of go back to just like ingesting media that feels comforting or that feels yeah. inspiring um and that that will usually like if i just let it let it be um we'll come back around and then you know i'll i'll be drawing again but uh just yeah. take a lot of the pressure off to to think of it more that way for sure yeah um we had a lot of really good questions come in um first i'm gonna go through questions we got on our discord if you're a patron, you get access to our Discord. It's a real good community of folks. Um, and uh, helps us a lot, out a lot. So check out our Patreon. Um, from user brother to drummer, Taylor, what is your ideal work environment? Silence, music, bright and cheery, dark and isolated? Oh, yeah. Um, I It depends on what I'm working on. But um, my, my office, usually I'm not like a, a dark person when I was working in... in uh, VFX, like the first studio I worked at, we were in like an annex that was completely dark, like kind of by, I think the preference of the other artists in there. Um, but it was extremely draining and depressing and I didn't like it. So, um, I like having some natural light, um, and depending on what I'm working on, I'll, if it's animation and there's nothing like verbal happening, then, you know, I'll usually put on like music or a video um or something to listen to but if it if it is like verbal or requires like the processing of uh audio or dialogue then that that usually doesn't go and then i'll i'll do something like very instrumental and, and non-intrusive um but yeah i i work from home right now which uh feels like kind of the ideal for me and that like i have uh, a lot of freedom over just like making sure my um my uh, sensory stuff is all good to go you know my room is kind of tuned to um how i want things to be uh yeah so that that's kind of what comes to mind uh first uh i also just like take take a good amount of breaks 
Um, I'll, you know, like go, go outside and sit out on the porch because I'm at home, those kinds of things. I think in the future, if I was ever in a situation where I could do like hybrid or I had like the option to come in, that would be cool. But for me, um, with, uh, um, a lot of stuff shutting down, um, it, it was nice to kind of discover that I could be a bit more comfortable at home. Um, and actually, uh, when I started working on OFK, that was a remote job before, uh, the pandemic happened. So the transition there was, was relatively easy. Um, but for me, just like having control over my environment is, is pretty important. Um, and I also just, uh, um, with my allergies and like sensory stuff, sometimes I just need to, uh, tap out for a bit. Um, and it is a lot easier and less like shameful, uh, mm -hmm. to do that when, when you're at home compared to, you know, like working in VFX, I, I felt, you know, guilty for even just stepping away for a moment to go sit on the couch if if my my hands were hurting or I had mm -hmm. eye strain or those sorts of things because just no one else did that like you took your half an hour mm -hmm. break and that was it you know so yeah the effects yeah. also sounds just super rough oh yeah um could not uh I, I do not recommend <laughs> uh, one star one star yeah I'm sure there's I, I mean you know like there there are studios that are pretty cool but um yeah there there's uh vfx is suffering from a lot of the similar things that other non-unionized uh industries are are suffering from uh quality of of life and those things so um yeah. that was kind of another reason i uh got interested in, in moving into games um you know games also doesn't get <laughs> the best rep um, for quality of life either, but at least there, I feel like there's a bit more progress towards making things more better. <laughs> We're getting there. Um, more of a push for sure. Yeah. And the team that I came onto was, was for OFK was very, um, like, uh, I think, uh, what, what's the word for it? Like, self-care oriented doesn't sound quite right, but very much just about like, you know, if, if you need to, take time for you or you're like, I, I never felt bad for, you know, not that it happened very often, but the couple of times where I was like, you know, having a bad mental health day, being able to say that and not having to give like a, um, a bullshit reason for it, you know, mm -hmm. um, that, that, that in itself would be taken seriously as, as a reason that someone might need to step away. That was very nice. Yeah. Um, uh, Discord member Joe Benson asked, any children's tales from childhood you'd like to make into a movie? Ooh. Um, These are good questions. Well, uh, maybe not a movie, but um, I've always kind of wanted to try, uh, even just for my own fun, um, doing a graphic novel, novel adaptation of The We Free Men by Terry Pratchett. Um, mm -hmm. It was the first Terry Pratchett book that I read when I was a kid, um, and it's, it's probably my favorite book, uh, of all time. Um, but, uh, I can see it very clearly in my head and kind of, in addition to that, it, uh, because Terry was kind of familiar with the world of video games, there are parts of that book specifically that echo, um, video gamey sort of things. Like there's a, there's a, a fantasy world in it where like literally like the, the draw distance 
of the world is changing um or like when she, when she looks at stuff because it's kind of a um a a created world um you know she'll stare at a tree and as she's looking at the tree the bark will become more realistic and it'll interesting you know kind of grow in and the the, dis, the details in the distance would be fuzzy that kind of stuff and so it's always kind of um i've always wanted to at least like just even for fun like a chapter or something just to try to visualize um some of that there's a very good um illustrated version um of the book uh i i think i have it downstairs actually but um that i also uh love um but i i do think it'd be really fun to try to translate that over that's probably the first one that comes to mind um and then there's also this childhood book that i read called the music of dolphins um that um is about a uh it, it's like loosely based off of uh someone who is who is actually discovered out in the wild but basically this girl who has been living um by herself out in nature um kind of in the shallows um in a community with these this group of uh dolphins and then she gets rescued and kind of rehabilitated and um it's based off of a lot of like you know stories of quote feral children you know or, or children that never uh formed you know um personal skills or verbal skills or those kinds of things because they they were uh deprived of that but the um the chapter book is really cool because um as she learns to write um you know she gets more verbose so it's very kind of basic at the beginning um and then just kind of gets uh she she gets more and more able to express herself and uh that's another one that's that's come to mind over time that i just like hmm, uh yeah it, it would be cool to try to uh visualize that um and i also just related a lot to her when i was younger um just got like a very kind of um sensory connection to water and um i don't know like it wasn't necessarily about an autistic child but i feel like a lot of the like dis disorientation that she feels um i i related to a lot so i've always kind of wanted to come back and revisit that very cool uh hopping over to twitter questions from at the rob robber got it how does the pipeline for video game animation differ from traditional studio animation hmm. well from the little bit that that i've i've done um i i haven't done any like uh what's it called like feature animation for anything um and what it has seemed like to me from that process is that it's it's a lot a, a very long process and a lot of like iteration um you know you might be working on a shot um for a very long time um in comparison to uh with games or uh with vfx you know vfx you might just be working on something and then submitting it the next day um depending on the the complexity of it because it's um you know a lot of times like animation that that i did for vfx and stuff like that is kind of like a a baseline that more like compositing or other things are being put on top of um and so it's a lot more like impromptu um and then uh for games uh I for for OFK 
I, um, we had this big show basically worth like episodes worth of, um, five episodes of dialogue and character acting for these characters to be doing, um, in a, in an indie game that, you know, doesn't have a full animation team. So like one of the first things that, uh, Teddy, the director and I tried to figure out was how to go about approaching that, um, getting animation for all of these characters for all of these things knowing that it can't all be bespoke um it, there's going to have to be reused animations mm-hmm. um and so i think that's that's a distinction or, or a, a a basic distinction between um you know animations made for feature or uh for other things versus uh for games is that they might need to be reused um if they're not cutscene animations um also both in in vfx and video games there's a lot more like use of motion capture um and uh cleaning up motion capture because uh pretty much all mocap needs to be cleaned up whatever they tell you (laughs) (laughs) that it doesn't it absolutely does um and you know when when uh, andy circus says that all of his he he was the total performance of golem and that you know animators just clean stuff up it's like no yeah fuck off um that is not how it goes so um there's there's a lot of kind of um even artistry to that um but for ofk uh we ended up building a like acting library is how we did it Mm. so we had um for each character there would be uh base poses and then uh in the timeline in unity we would build on top of the um the additive system that you could do with layers and the timeline. So we would uh, have the base pose that the character was standing in. And then I started uh, kind of calling out elements that would make them feel more alive. So we added a breathing loop that would just kind of run um, in the background and then would be interrupted when the character is talking. Uh, We added um, blinking um, and a, a look at system so that uh, we could control where the character was looking, but there could also be like a um, a variance to it. So you could have, you could say within this range, I want the character to kind of dart their eyes around um, at this frequency. We could control that, uh, which was really interesting because you get a unique result every time the game plays. They're still looking within this, this certain range that you've specified, but where they specifically choose to look um, within that range is random each time you play the scene, which is really cool. Um, it's very different from feature mm-hmm. animation, uh, where, you know, like you are kind of coordinating every single, uh, look and blink and keying those things in. Um, and then on top of that, uh, we would do the acting, which would be, uh, we would do like held gestures. Or I think I call them position changes at the time, but, um, I like held gestures better now, but gestures and held gestures, um, gestures being something like a shrug. That just plays once and then finishes um uh, versus like a held gesture which would be something like leaning forward you would then have to call for the character to lean back um so the combination of all those things came together to create like the acting for this and that felt like a very very um different experience than hand keying uh something uh that is going to be kind of bespoken on its own um and it was also just very uh, interesting to kind of like piece together and see how far we could get just with that, um, you know, and then fill in the gaps 
for more specific body motions or things like that with um, you know bespoke animations. But the first step was how how far can we get with the things that we've already built? Man, that's very involved. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, animation for games is so much more technical as I have also learned working in games again. Yeah, and like There's I still lot. feel like I'm only scraping the surface of it, you know. Um, oh sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I feel like there it, it is really interesting kind of um, if you're like an animator looking at what what kind of things you'd like to do or like it good questions to ask is, you know, just like how long generally do I, I want to spend on things before they're they're sent off? Do I uh, wanna create these very bespoke you know acting or action animations or um you know is is there a, a niche more in like acting i i really enjoy like acting i feel like in that respect of like it became like choreography um mm -hmm. because then the scene would be laid out and i would go through it and time um all of these kind of uh parameters that we built to match um and the look at I think really really sold it just the fact that the character would blink and look around um and kind of just organically do that uh added so much to the scenes um and then also uh with all of those it, it depends but with with all of those projects I've been on um besides the Radiohead one because there wasn't any mounts in that but then also for OFK we did um like uh, phonemes, which is like mouth shapes, um, and then those would be run through a, a plugin that would take the audio of the voice actor and translate it into the phonemes that were being said. So ah, uh, ooh, um, mm -hmm. consonant noises, mm -hmm. all that. And then me and uh, our uh, one of our three D tech artists, uh, Jane, would go through and clean up all of those. Um, so. It was a really cool process and you yeah. know if we ever get to do like a, a season two or anything um there are definitely things that i would uh continue to like refine or that i'm, I'm interested in um figuring out uh there's there's still stuff that we never quite figured out that i think would be it would, would plus that process even more very cool um from at shackleback what is your least favorite step in the animation process rigging and skin weights included mm. Well, luckily, um, <laughs> these past few uh, jobs I've been on, I've had uh, very competent text, uh, text tech artists to um, handle the more uh, rigging uh, side of things and weight painting and all of that. Um, because while I know how to do it, that is, that's definitely not, not my bag as much. Um, but um, for animation, I feel like going from blocking to spline is always painful <laughs> for me. Mm -hmm. um, going from, especially if it's like going from stepped to then, okay, turning on, um, mm -hmm. we're no longer looking at this animation in, in stepped view, we're, we're seeing it with the default splines that the 3D program is generating and then suddenly it can just look like muddy and ugly and yeah. gross. Mm -hmm. um, and then you gotta go through and and kind of refine all of those tangents to get through that. And depending on how like detailed of a block in you do, um, some of that can be like mitigated uh, in the process. But it's still, I think that's that's the 
the weirdest thing with with 3d animation is that you can just like scoot things around you know in a way that you you mm -hmm. can't with 2d mm -hmm. um you know you can adjust a hand or adjust a hip or those things but with that freedom also comes kind of like there are so many possible solutions to making this thing look better <laughs> yeah. Yeah. um you can and, tinker yeah yeah and so like with that stuff i i feel like just having even um that that's what uh you know like feedback and having a second eye on it is good for too because like when you've been staring at something for long enough um it becomes it, it can become like really hard to tell if it's landing or not or uh if you see a hitch in something but you can't quite articulate it usually someone else can uh point it out in a different way yeah um we had a couple questions from at tim levang um he asked did you meet tom york or anyone else from radiohead <laughs> <laughs> and if so what were they like yes i met them all no um that would have been great that would have been cool um i mean with I've, I've worked on a few different things that were with like music artists um for my vfx job um as well um and i would say mostly for these projects that are for a musician um or like a big figure like that unless you're like the director or kind of one of the uh creative leaders of the project like if you're if you're just an artist working on the project unless there's some special reason for the um the property holders to speak with you directly you're not going to meet those people yeah um and that's highly unlikely yeah it's highly unlikely it's cool if it happens um uh, but it's definitely not like anticipated um so even so, you know, uh, with the Radiohead project, it was cool, you know, those moments where, uh, you know, our, our director and producers and those people did get to, um, you know, interface with the band. I think they even uh, flew out to uh, the UK to go over some stuff with them um, and show it to them in person. Um, and just getting even to hear about that uh, secondhand, you know, what their thoughts were on it, um, those kinds of things was really cool um and uh yeah and then also i uh on that project i did um i did like a little doodle at the end of the year um when i finished it one of the characters in the game and then stanley donwood who does all their like visual art and stuff like that um reposted it on uh his account and uh that was cool um, it was cooler once he credited me, um, but, uh, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but still it was just like, uh, there, there is something, um, really special about, um, making something. And in that case, you know, with some of the VFX stuff and you're making a music video for someone like, uh, um, Maroon 5 or something like that, you're never going to hear what Adam Levine thinks about <laughs> the Maroon 5 music video that you made for them. That's probably... They probably, you know, filmed that months down the line from that. And, you know, they're, yep. it, it's very, very uh, separated. And also a lot of times, too, there's like a, um, uh, what's, like a creative li liaison, you know, like a, a creative director or something for, um, I can't remember his name, but that that's how it was for the Radiohead project. There was like, they had a creative director um, and then we had a creative director and it was kind of like, the two of them were interfacing with the band and then interfacing with us and like uh you know um that's how we got our feedback and all of those things um but still 
I it was impressive with the Radiohead project because um, that is definitely on the more involved side uh, in a good way of like the band actually looking at the thing as it's being made and having thoughts on it um, and helping to shape that. So that was really cool. Yeah, there's it's rare that a band is going to be involved in any side projects like that, I think, because like it's just it's just a lot of work to be in a band <laughs> and so like yeah <laughs> those things are generally outsourced and maybe done with trusted collaborators but like they're yeah exactly be... um but it's still very special oh yeah mm-hmm. definitely uh and then the follow-up was is it possible for a normal person to make a good video game alone or is that just something that some special people do <laughs> <laughs> oh man um what is normal? I guess it's it's yeah define normal and special um but I mean it it seems like I mean it's absolutely possible to make a video game by yourself um and like I know people who have done it um the biggest defining factors for for yourself in deciding if you can do that or not is like scope and pace so like mm-hmm. if you just want to like pick away at making something you know over over the course of months um and do it that way that is that is totally uh plausible and then too with Mm -hmm. scale you know if you're trying to make like a open world uh you know multiple multiplayer sort of thing you know or or something that is closer to like uh you're reaching for the stars you know triple a sort of stuff then that that's going to be very overwhelming but if you like really define your scope to what's doable for you and you're okay with it happening over a long period of time between the rest of your life I I feel like it's very achievable it's actually never been more achievable I feel like as far as just the amount of um like free tools that are available to make games and uh tutorials and those kinds of things I mean compared to you know the early days of games like those those resources are really easy to come by now um, and that's exciting because it, it is, there's, there's a lot of ways to make a game, even if you don't want to be in engine, um, uh, you know, there are other, other tools, uh, and other like systems that people may, you know, like, uh, RPG maker, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, um, that handles some of the framework for you. Um, and then also like, uh, something that I want to like learn about more, or I think is really interesting is like bespoke, uh, tabletop, like role-playing games. Um, there are a lot of just like hand, handmade, handwritten ones that people have made on, on itch.io, um, that, you know, once again, if you, if you don't want to, to make something that's digital necessarily, but you still want to make a game, that is another, um, you know, avenue to kind of look into and be like, okay, like, does this need to be a a digital game? Could this be, you know, um, a role-playing experience in another uh, aspect or could you know art be involved in it in a different way so yeah i mean it's still i think it takes a certain kind of person to stick with something like that that long and it's i've had ideas for games that i wanted to make and a lot of times the biggest thing stopping me is just continuing with it um and continuing with the troubleshooting process on your own so um yeah that's my big yeah. long thought on that yeah. no that's great just like very good. making the commitment right like making like your own schedule and like <laughs> sticking to it that's like yeah the hardest yeah part. and like yeah. some people do it they they absolutely do um but yeah i feel like just 
um, the games that I've seen that have been made by one person and have been successful have had a very well-honed sense of scope, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Scope is huge, and we've talked about it before, like, uh, you know, finishing small projects rather than rather than trying to do one big one, because chances are you're not going to finish the big one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it goes back to the previous things we talked about, like the, you know, open and closed modes where it's like you you just have to do the thing so sometimes you have to just finish the thing you can't always um be experimenting yeah uh but yeah um from uh last but not least from at alabaster indigo uh omg omg hi tay uh how do you feel about the lack of good autistic representation in kids television well, I it's interesting because I I will say to preface this that I'm very I'm very behind on watching like more recent kids television and I know that there have been not necessarily I it's like explicit representation but at least characters that have like fallen into that or uh that that people have um enjoyed as like autistic head canons and I feel like a lot of um autistic people and autistic creatives find characters that even if they're not explicitly labeled that way that they relate to and they can kind of build that headcanon around um and I feel like that's the majority of it um you know there I I, besides like the um was it Sesame Street I think has has like one of their their characters is explicitly autistic but Mm -hmm. like I literally can't can't think of another (laughs) <laughs> besides that you know or or you know even uh as like a person who used to watch the office religiously and have kind of moved on to a new part of my life um this isn't kids kids entertainment but I look back on you know how Dwight true or even Michael Scott kind of are um portrayed uh specifically you know Dwight more so as a kind of neurodivergent person who uh struggles and social act uh, interactions with people and like when are the times that that's actually funny and when are the times that it's it's uh maybe not really so much but it's being you know played for a laugh or it's just like isn't he so wacky you know like that Mm -hmm. that is less uh clever i would say um but yeah i i i don't know i feel like that's the majority of my answer is that people just kind of like search those characters out themselves. And then I know there are also, you know, tons of, um, you know, creative characters for, for that people just made themselves that are, are those things. But as far as like things that are put onto TV or into comics or those kinds of things, the, the pickings are slim. Um, so like I have, I have some, like autistic headcanons of characters that um, I like to think of that way. Um, but yeah, beyond that, you just kind of, you just have to create it yourself. It's interesting. Um, I always yeah. kind of uh, related to SpongeBob when I was a kid. Um, oh, interesting. Because, and, and that's the thing is like, it's a, you know, this is supposed to be a goofy, um, quirky cartoon character that's kind of ridiculous sometimes. Um, but there, there are a lot of <laughs> things about uh, SpongeBob that you know, like 
I feel like other people would laugh at and I would kind of like relate to, um, you know, just like being a crybaby or, you know, when he throws a party and he's so focused on everyone following, following the schedule and routine and just like trying to control what everyone's doing. Um, you know, just like kind of being, um, more sensitive and sincere than everyone else around you. Like those, Mm -hmm. those Mm -hmm. sorts of things. Um, and, uh, I feel like that, yeah, that in itself was really endearing to me because I was, I was a sensitive crybaby kid. I was, um, I was very, I would care, I don't know, very like sincerely about things or just kind of like take stuff too seriously sometimes. Um, and that like juxtaposition there is interesting. Um, I also feel like, you know, there's not that many like in order for those characters to exist too, a lot of times, like hopefully they don't have to be, but um, it'd be nice if they're created by other autistic people. So in order for that to even happen in the first place, you know, those people have to be in positions where they can introduce those characters and have them approved and stay and all of those things. So it's rough out there. (laughs) It's rough out there. And I, yeah. Yeah. I was, I was just going to say, I think it could also be tricky with, companies um labeling a character as autistic just because they might run into like it's not legal but like then they have to like hire a consultant and then it's a lot yeah i think it's like that's that's a big reason why it might not uh like companies shy away from it it's because of all the like yeah yeah uh unrelated to (laughs) unrelated to any kind of uh neurodivergency but like even just trying to get a non-binary character picked up by a major network i had some conversations man and like it's it's fucking frustrating and it and i don't think people that complain too much and especially when they blame creators for not having the perfect representation you don't know what the fuck people are up against man like it's it it's it's hard to get anything that's not completely vanilla standard you know like it's it's really difficult to get any executives to understand much less support and you're gonna end up having to filter it through a whole like myriad of checks and balances and and um you know people and so it's it's i'm glad i'm glad that things are there's like little bits of pieces coming through and little bits of representation it's it's only going to get better mm-hmm. but i wish i wish people would cut artists some slack because they're all trying their best (laughs) like a lot of people in in positions of you know creative control or power or whatever they're all a lot of them are trying their best but it's just constant pushback um so it's it's tough out there yeah i mean like Um, i i feel like uh you know for looking for those things uh i have enjoyed kind of like you 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 have to find other avenues to enjoy them. And I feel like for me, um, you know, for, for queer representation or also just like, you know, uh, neurodivergent characters or characters with mental health issues, those kinds of things, like um, a lot of things that, you know, like it's, it's, it's evidenced by, you know, your work too, Jean, but a lot of those things I, I find now more in like web comics and like just, um, sure. individually published things that don't don't have the stakes of a 
a network or a studio behind them. Like there's basically no one to tell you, no, your character can't be that way. Um, And and that's where things start too, right? Like that's the, that there's a benefit. There's a benefit to things being IP driven and there's very few of those. There's very few benefits because it is obnoxious how everything's all about IP right now. But um, if you have a strong enough independent thing that does well, it could very well lead to a shortcut to that representation being in a major thing. You look at something like Dead End, and that is a, a trans male character, main character, and and that now it's in a kids cartoon that is on Netflix, you know? And it's yeah. like, but that was just what um, uh, Hamish wanted to do. Right. And now it's now it's a big thing. So it's like, you gotta start, you gotta just do it yourself. Like we've said a million times, you gotta mm-hmm. just make the stories you wanna tell and then uh, hope they reach that audience. Yeah. And, well, and I, oh, I was just going to say, like, I, um, I've basically been creating autistic characters my whole life without realizing mm-hmm. it. Um, mm-hmm. and I had this really weird realization kind of around when I was first figuring stuff out. I had just finished like writing a like middle grade fantasy book that I was, I was going to query around. Um, and I realized after writing it that the main character was autistic and a lot of the things that I was describing her struggling with, um, came from that. Um, and just how, how strange, you know, like for, for one, you know, first of all, to experience that in your own life and then realize it too. And then look back on, um, you know, seeing someone that you've created that you've you've kind of manufactured these struggles for or this, you know, personality for and seeing that reflected there. So it's like, even if you're not trying, I feel like whatever um, those things kind of come out of in the work, whether you realize it or not. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. People write what they know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have. uh I have a lot more, I think, compassion for that character now, too, because at, at the time, um, I think I didn't understand her, you know, um, and, uh, you know, people who would read it for me would, wouldn't understand her, and I think part of that just came from her, you know, that the, the solution wasn't necessarily that, oh, well, now that you know that in the book, like, she needs to say that she's that, and that's what it is, but it more just came from, like, I was writing a phenomenon without um having it named in my head um and just the power of being like okay yeah that's what this character is dealing with and this is how those things will manifest is uh really cool to yeah flush out that's Mm -hmm. awesome uh tay what are your goals for the future either career-wise or in life Hmm. i feel like i've been putting off um doing like uh autobio comics and like personal comics and illustrations for quite a while like there's always things that like creep out of me regardless you know like I'll always be like doodling or if something really strikes my fancy to like make an illustration of I'll make it um but I kind of want to make a concerted effort in the future to just like make more narrative work again um, I put a lot of work into that um, that book I mentioned, you know, that it didn't really go anywhere, but, um, you know, it was also my first 
a chapter thing that I completely finished. So, you know, had very high standards for myself of like, this is the first thing that you've, you finished and it has to, you know, make it through all of these hoops mm. and stuff. Now I'm just really proud of myself for finishing it. So I just yeah. kind of want to continue to go with that stuff. I've, I've always, um, been really inspired by, uh, Emily Carroll's, uh, HTML comics, um, that are meant for, uh, being viewed in web and kind of take mm -hmm. advantage of, you know, um, the fact that you can hover over panels and they can change or just like playing with the structure or, you know, clicking to advance and then you're on, um, a new page with a new structure, those kinds of things. So, um, I just want to play around a lot more with all of that and with, uh, sequential art. Mm. Yeah. And that's kind of what's on the forecast. We'll see. That all sounds amazing. Uh, well, that's the end of this creative block. Taylor, thanks for being our guest and sharing your story. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Of course. And thanks to your listeners. Follow us on Twitter. It's at Creative Block, Creative Without the Vowels, where we ask for drawing prompts and questions to ask our guests. Huge thanks to our editor, Clemens, for editing the podcast and Malik for helping us produce the show. If you love our show, then support us on Patreon. Becoming a patron gets you early access to interviews as well as bonus episodes. Click the link in the description of this episode. I've been your host, Gene. And I was B. Keep being creative, and we'll see you next week. Bye! Bye.